I want to continue talking about the goodness of God from last week. I had so much to unpack last week. I didn't get to finish it all. I want to drill down a little bit further. And really, the, the subject of where we end up going is we're talking about the obstacles to realizing the goodness of God. And you may remember last week hearing me say that your doctrine of understanding the goodness of God is important for you to understand all doctrine. For you to be able to enjoy the relationship with the Father, you've got to be able to realize, listen to me, how trustworthy He is. He is a really, really, really good Father. He's a great God. Can I get a witness? In, in Genesis, the Bible opens up in the first chapter, in the, in seven times it says this, and God saw that it was good. Everything he did, he created, he spoke light, he said it was good at the end of every day. And then at the, the end of that chapter, verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. In chapter 2, verse 18, we see the first thing God sees in the earth that's not good. And he realized it's not good that Adam be left alone. So what did he do? He made it good. He fixed it. And that's what God does. He's a redemptive, loving father. And everything that he sees is, that's not good, his grace, say grace, moves in to make that situation good. And how many of you know that him creating your wife was not just good, it was way more than good? We got three of y'all. The rest of y'all are on the couch tonight. But to understand that the goodness of God, he's trustworthy. And when he sees things that he has anything to do with them, that they're not good, he makes them good. Our passage is from John 15, again, where we were last week. Now, when we talk about the goodness of God, there are literally hundreds of verses, parables, stories that we could drop in and talk about the goodness of God. I'm at John 15 for a, a reason, and we'll discover that in a few minutes. Verse 7 says, and this is, these are the words of Jesus where he's talking about being the vine branches. As long as we remain connected to him, we'll bear fruit. Apart from him, we're dead. We can do nothing. Verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want to say it again. If these two conditions are met, you remain in me and my words remain in you or abide in you, ask whatever you wish. He trusts the intimacy of that connection that if you're in him and his word is in you, you're going to ask for things that he already wants to give you. It's a beautiful picture of intimacy. Verse 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is about spiritual intimacy. Most believers don't enjoy or understand the nature of, the relationship that we have with God through Christ and how he wants it to be an intimate, close, trusting relationship. Abiding in Jesus, his divine grace and power, his enablement, 
his life flowing through us that we bear fruit. And I would say, what a privilege. What a place in life that we can enjoy. Now, we see that in the previous chapter, as I mentioned last week, John 15 is sandwiched between John 14 and 16, where Jesus gives us great teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' absence, once he ascends to be with the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit. And he teaches us what that's going to be like. And he begins in John 14 by saying, um, Fear not, for I'm not going to leave you alone. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. We see that in John 14. In my father's house, there are many rooms or mansions. And that word there is the Greek word, it's mane. And it's, it's a place to live, to abide. It's a mansion, it's a house. It's a place God has provided for us to be, to live with the quality of eternal life. He says, don't be afraid. I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, mane. The Greek there is a noun. And then we see in the next chapter, the scripture that I just read. So mane, noun for a place, a mansion, a God-prepared place for me to live. You're going to have to listen to this to get everything I'm saying to you this morning. You have to listen to it again. Mane, a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In the very next chapter in John 15, the scripture we just read, we see this same word a couple more times. He says, if you remain in me, if you abide in me. And the, the word now is meno. It's the Greek form of the same word for place or mansion. A God-prepared place. And it's the verb form. And, and, and Jesus is saying in John 14, fear not, I'm going to prepare a place, a noun, a place for you. And in the next chapter, he says, if you'll move in now, I already have a place for you where you can enjoy the qualities of eternal life. It's powerful to consider that. And that's no play on what Jesus meant to do that. Now, let's talk about John chapter 14. And I'm going to begin, I'm going to highlight some of the things. I'm going to move really rapidly as, as, I, as fast as I can because there's a lot we're going to unpack today. John 14, just everybody remember, okay, I, I don't want to, I, I want the seventh grader, I have one in this room, to follow the sermon today. Jesus is with the disciples. He's physically with them. He's now talking about life after the crucifixion, resurrection. He ascends to go back to be the with the Father. Now, all of us, we would, if knowing those 12 disciples, I mean, they need Jesus with them. And now the plan is for world evangelism to spread through these 12 without Jesus. That's a problem. Except for Jesus starts teaching, please hear me, about the dynamic, the grace of God manifest, the grace of God manifested in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And for many of us in this room, the Holy Spirit has been like that crazy aunt that don't come to my high school graduation, please. You'll embarrass me. And we, we welcome God the Father and God the Son, but, 
But Holy Spirit is that taboo, misunderstood person of the Trinity that must be understood. It's not op- he's not optional. And Jesus teaches us, and he drops some serious truth bombs on what life is going to be like. He has the audacity to tell them, it's actually going to be better after I leave because of me sending him. Now, that took a stretch for him to believe that. They didn't until it happened. So in John chapter 14, here's what he says about life when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us. Verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and even greater works. What? Say what? Not greater in quality. You can't get greater than raising the dead, but quantity. Jesus is saying, there's one of me, there's getting ready to be 12 of me. Then on the day of Pentecost, there's going to be 120. Then there'll be 3,120. And Jesus is saying, the same quality that I have, you're going to have it. How many of you know that's just ridiculously crazy, unbelievable, but yet it's true? Are y'all out there? I mean, I want you to go here. You know these scriptures. We read them at funerals. You know, let not your hearts be troubled. Blah, blah, blah. Charlie Brown's preacher. You know, wah, 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 wah. Jesus said it's going to be better once he's gone because of the position that we'll have through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful thing. Then he goes on, he says, verse 16, the Father will give you another advocate, a counselor, a representative, an attorney to help you and be with you forever. Anybody needed help, divine aid? Anybody needed to know that he will never leave you, never forsake you, he'll be with you forever? Verse 17, that advocate is the spirit of truth. He lives with you, but then he will be in you. How many of you know in is better than with? That's what he says. Verse 18, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So don't have the fear of being abandoned. Verse 19, before long, this is so powerful. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. He goes on in verse 20 and says, you will realize that, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, help us, that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Now, what I'm about to say, don't take this out of context. Because it sounds sacrilegious. Jesus basically brings us into such an intimate partnership with what God's doing in the earth. He almost welcomes us into the Trinity. Now don't hear me say what I'm not saying. You are not part of the Godhead. But you are brought into a partnership to where you are empowered with the same resources to do the work of God in the earth. Verse 25 and 6, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You know, he will, he will lead you into all truth. How many of you know the world needs to be led into truth right now? If some of you could just be reminded of what Jesus has said to you about your situation and about you in the world, if you could just be reminded, you would be better. You would be reminded of that truth. And that's the practical role 
of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, he says, My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not, excuse me, do not be afraid. Verse 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does, you will believe. I, I'm going to try to not jump off on any rabbit trails. But do you see how practical Jesus, in John 14, Jesus is talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit? He he, he's going to tell us things that are going to happen before they happen so that when they happen, we'll know what to do and not be gripped with fear or confusion. And then after John 14, we read in John 15 about the vine and the branches. Let's skip and go to John 16. Jesus continues to teach. And I'm leaving out lots of verses because we don't have time to talk about them all. But just to highlight a few in John 16, verse 7, it says, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will say to you, listen to me, the things that I want to say but you're not equipped to hear or receive. He will then come and say those things to you. Anybody picking up on this? This is like a pretty good deal. Anybody picking up on it? And then there's a lot of other things that he says, and I'm skipping over, but he, he ends verse, this chapter with verse 33, and he says, I have told you all these things about life and the Spirit so that in me you may have peace. You're going to need it because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now let's drill down and talk about this. I want to go back. He says, if you remain in me, or if you abide in me, if you, listen, move in to this house, me, if you move in, if you abide in me, then he says, if, you, if my words abide in you, please, brothers and sisters, if you abide in me, Matthew 19, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commands. And we already see he's in the negotiator and he's a smoozer. And he says, which commands? And Jesus says, don't commit murder, adultery, don't lie or steal, honor your father and mother, love, love others as you love yourself. And he says, I've done these since I was a little boy. And Jesus says, well, go and sell some of your possessions and share them with the poor. And the Bible says he went away sad. He was like, ah, I just want eternal life. I'm not ready to move in to that place. I just want eternal life. I'm not ready to abide in you. In Acts chapter 17, verse 38, it says, in him we live and move and have our being." Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments I give you today are to be, listen, on your hearts. Impress, this is abiding. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. To abide in him. I would ask you today, 
Would you call your relationship with God one in which you are living and moving and having your being in him? Are you going, okay, sell some of my stuff and share it? No problem. I just want to move in. Are you negotiating? You know, are you, do you visit that place, that money? Do you, are you willing, going, I want to live there? Because Jesus says, if you move into this place and you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you wish. Second thing he says is, if my words abide in you. Now, this is a principle I teach often. And it goes underestimated and underappreciated. The power of of God's word abiding in you. Well, just whether it abides in you, let's just value and appreciate the power of God's word. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel comes to Mary, the teenage, unwed virgin who becomes the mother of Jesus. Please listen. Anytime a word from God comes to you, it's going to stretch you. It's going to be something that you can't figure out in the natural how he's going to do it. And so when the angel came from heaven, first thing he said, fear not. And then he said, but you're going to become the mother of the Messiah. And she says, that's, that's impossible. Because I'm a virgin. And he says, I'm Gabriel, virgin. And I came from God. And he told me to tell you that. And then she goes, and, and he says, and the baby in you will be the son of God. There's no way we can go there as a 14, 15-year-old virgin, unmarried girl. Hearing a sermon from an angel Angel in that word actually is pastor. One who brings a message for God. There's no way we can understand the impossibility and the otherworldliness of this message. And she says, how can that happen? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will overshadow you. And you will bring forth a son. And she goes, okay, may it be unto me according to your word. That's all she said. But she obviously meant it. And what happened was the Holy Spirit came upon her and fulfilled that promise. And she conceived supernaturally the word and the word grew in her and stretched her. A word came to her about something God wanted to do in her that would be birthed through her and change the world around her. And the same thing is happening to you today and every day. God brings promises that you go, I, I think you got the wrong Mary. I'm a virgin. I think you got the wrong Matt. I got a record. How will that be? And the word of God comes and says, oh, that's easy. 
Holy Spirit's getting ready to overshadow you and do the impossible. And then the, 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 word, the verse that we have in verse 37 of Luke 1, it says, for with God all things are possible. It's actually a poor translation. It actually means in the Greek, it says this, for no word from God will ever fail. In other words, listen to me closely. I'm teaching, but if you can pick up a little bit of what I'm laying down this morning, I promise you, you're lying. Our world's getting ready to get transformed. The word, basically what the word says in verse 37, instead of, hey, with God, everything's possible, it's actually saying this. The word itself has the capacity to ensure that it's fulfilled. Just the speaking and the receiving of the word, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Pastor Chuck, have you lost your mind? Yes, I have. I now have the mind of Christ. Thank you very much for asking. And, and my, mind, my mind doesn't work just naturally anymore. It works, but supernaturally is what I'm open up to. I don't get an AM signal anymore or FM or a stereo. I get a high-def signal because that's what we have access to in the Holy Spirit. And, and this, is, this is the promise. She said, may your word be fulfilled. And then it was fulfilled. And we see this principle all through Scripture, the power of the word. Let me, let me remind you, we're talking about abiding in him, moving in, and then going, okay, I'm going to let your word move in to me. Now, John chapter 8, you know, don't go there, but just follow me. The woman caught in the act of adultery. This is a shame-filled, embarrassing moment for a woman caught in the act of adultery who they let the man or men off, and she's before Jesus, and they're trying to trick Jesus. And I, I won't go over the whole story. It's not germane to what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. At the end of the day, at the end of the, inner, the exchange there with Jesus and the religious people, and the guilty woman, he says to her, woman, who condemns you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I. And then he offers a seemingly insensitive word to her. And he says, neither do I. Now, go and sin no more. And you may go, wow, what you're not going to offer her support or counseling. Oh, you don't understand Jesus. Listen to me. The exchange of, of the grace that was issued from him to her in front of all these people. And she was going, they're the guilty ones and not you just let me off. And when he spoke, we don't know the rest of the story. Now, I don't think she went and became a sin-free woman in the, living in the natural. But I do believe she was transformed by that experience and the Word because the Word in itself coming from the Word has the ability to fulfill itself. This is why it's important that we are continually saying what Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. I'm here to serve you. So may it be unto me according to your Word. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying this morning? Now, listen. We could go on and on and on. Psalm 119. If you haven't read that whole chapter, what is 165 verses or something like that? If you haven't read that in a long time, you should. Verse 9, it says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? Good question, right? 
Daryl Honeycutt, you were the one at Mentone 1992 or 3 who said, the enemy wants, this book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. You're the first one I ever heard say that. How can a young man keep his way pure? Then he answers his own question, by living according to your word. That's why I have hid, I've let your word move in, I've hidden your word in my heart. And by doing that, I have the ability to not continue in sin. The power of the word. We could go on and on. There's a dozen places. I could. Isaiah 55. God says, the word will come down and it won't come back up empty. It, it won't come void or it won't fulfill it will fulfill what I want it to fulfill. It'll never come back to me empty. How many of you are picking up the power of the word? I don't want you to just read the Bible to become a smarter Christian. I'm not challenging you to become a Pharisee or a, a Sadducee and go, hey, I, I, I read through the Bible twice this year. You know, We're not trying to get smarter Christians. We don't need that. We, we need people who will say, let the word grow in me, be birthed through me, because the world needs to be changed around me. We need people that go, I value the word because if I'm open to it, it will transform me in my world. There's other places that we could go. Isaiah 55, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active. That's why I read this book and I just read through Leviticus. Thank God I'm through Leviticus. And I go, I've never seen that. That wasn't there last year when I read. God just put that one in there. Have you ever had that happen? You know, it's, it's alive. It's, listen, almost every Sunday, someone will come to me and say, Pastor Chuck, it really ministered to me when you said, and they will say something I didn't say. But they heard it said to them. And you may go, you have lost your mind. Where's the exit, honey? Let's sneak out of here the next time everybody starts clapping or something. That's the power of the word. This is so simple, right? So when we talk about if you abide in me, not visit, if you move in and you're open to letting my word regularly move into you, Ask whatever you wish for, and it will be done for you. That's the goodness of God. Now, there are obstacles to you enjoying the goodness of God. We see them in Genesis. In Genesis 1, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. <gasps> That's not good in Genesis 2. I need to fix that. He fixed it. Then what did Satan come and do? Please hear me. There is transformative energy flowing in this room that comes from heaven. Listen to me. Satan came and said, did God really say that you can't eat? Even God knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. What was Satan doing? What Satan always does. He comes to make you doubt the goodness of God. And he said, God's holding out on you. And here's the root of all bondage. He's rejecting you. 
There's something he knows you need, and he's not letting you have it. And that's how Satan comes. And so we're talking about the goodness of God, and Satan comes to get us to doubt it. And there's people here today, your fear is rooted in you feel like God's rejected you. Or your fear is rooted in a circumstance that's happened or recently happened, and, and it's, it's, it's opened a door for the enemy to come in and convince you that God's holding out on you, that he's good to everybody on your row, but not you. And this is how Satan gets us off track and the obstacles to enjoying or realizing the goodness of God. Now, it's simple. You don't need a seminary degree to understand what I've just said. But let's, let's talk about these three things for just a couple minutes. What are the... What are the obstacles, what are the traps that the most Western Christians fall into to miss out on the goodness of God in their lives? The first is a lack of discipleship. I may, I'm not real good at coming up with acrostics and points in my sermon that all start with the same letter, but what am I getting at? Um, everybody look. We, we have a religious system in our country that talks about forgiveness, but not repentance. And that's a big problem. The Bible never says, you know, come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. It says, come to Jesus, repent, and you will be forgiven. Y'all out there still? Acts chapter 2, verse 37, 38. When the people, this Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. When the people, and he was challenging them, saying, you all crucified. This was our Messiah. And they heard, it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to develop all that, but that was a mouthful says, if you repent, you'll be forgiven, and then the Holy Spirit will come and enable you to live this life of repentance. I, some of you, what is forgiveness is when you go, God, I'm sorry. I confess my sin, and I ask you to forgive me. And I go, Candace, I did, what I did was wrong. I ask you to forgive me. What is repentance? It's being it's turning and going the other way. This is the way my flesh wants me to go. This is the way of sin. This is the way of the world. And, and when I say, Father God, forgive me. Honey, forgive me. I'm sorry for... Repentance is turning and going, I'm going the other way. And you go, that's hard. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to be open to the word coming in you and you seeing the value of Turning from this to this. And some of you go, it's just so hard. And you talk about, last week, Pastor Chuck, you talked about disobedience and obedience. And some of you may go, I feel weighed down. It's hard to obey God. Obedience is hard. You think that's hard? Try disobedience. Disobedience. This is how our minds are warped. This is why we need the eternal word. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth and enable us through grace to be able to go, you know what? 
Obedience is what I want to do. Romans 6, what, what shall we do? Since grace abounds where there's sin, should we keep on sinning? Paul goes, no, that's not who you are. Satan's gotten you to be someone you're not. You don't want to sin anymore. Don't let him dupe you. Are y'all tracking with me? So repentance is when I go, and I want to go. I've been disobedient. And repentance is not this, oh, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Oh, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Oh, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Repentance is going, and, and some of you, it's, it's when you hit rock bottom and you realize that disobedience stinks. And you go, God, I repent. I'm coming to you. I want your way. I want your truth. This is painful. This is, there's no reward in this that's worth having. First is a lack of discipleship. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing. Anybody could take a little summer breeze right now? Just, you know, and I don't think that's just, you know, accidentally in there. How many of you remember the day you, you discovered repentance is awesome? Obedience is awesome. Are y'all out there? And it's like this, this addiction, this bondage, this relationship I, sh I know I shouldn't be in. And I finally realize I've hit rock bottom and I'm ready to turn around. And you turn around and it's like, it makes sense. There is divine grace flowing. There's joy and peace. Are y'all out there? Anybody remember the day you felt that breeze for the first time? The times of refreshing. Now, before I move out of lack of discipleship, you know, we have believers and converts Jesus never said, go and make church members or believers. Now in America, we have, she's a believer, a committed believer, a dedicated believer. And we have terms like carnal Christian. That's an oxymoron. Like United Methodist, jumbo shrimp, freezer burn, congressional action, you know. <laughs> That's, that's an oxymoron, carnal Christian. We have all these things. That's, if you're, what is it, the one thing I saw on Facebook? And we know it's inspired because it was on Facebook. If, if being a Christian for you is boring, then you're doing it the wrong way. If being a Christian is not filling you up with joy and times of refreshing, you're doing it the wrong way. And I would urge you, consider to become a disciple. Anybody agree with what I'm saying? Just a little bit. Tell the, next, the person next to you. Tell them. Say, Pastor Chuck's not right all the time, but every once in a while he finds a nut. Number two, a casual view of sin and compromise. Why don't more Christians experience the goodness of God? Because we have a casual approach to sin and compromise. Romans 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what sin pays. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. Now, does God reward us for being obedient to his word? We can better answer the question by recognizing that God's word is, hear me, the instruction manual for our lives. Everybody say instruction manual. 
And when we apply its principles, our consciences are clean and our lives function as they were designed to function. Consider it this way. A man purchases an unassembled swing set for his children. He's not the most gifted engineering type and he has no experience working with tools. But if he reads the manual and consults with people who've, who've assembled it before, he will be able to set up the swing set the way it was designed. And he, is, he and his children will be greatly rewarded for his trouble to follow the instruction manuals. If he ignores the owner's manual, however, he's courting frustration and possible disaster. You see, there are built-in rewards for following the instructions. Psalm 1-4 says it like this. Psalm 1, 1 through 4, it says, when we follow the way of wisdom, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatever he does will prosper because he meditates in the word. He lets the word move in. You see, God's reward to those who obey his word can seem like natural consequences. For example, a child obeys God's word and honors his parents. He finds that he is blessed with closer familial relationships, less conflict, and more trust. We've told our children when they say, I just want you to trust me more. I want to have more privileges. And we say to them, we want to trust you. We want to never tell you no. We want you to have the ability and maturity to just live life. We want you to abide in us and our words to abide in you so that you can ask what are y'all whatever you want and we just say be it unto you luke that's what that's intimacy that's that's maturity that's what we want they follow the instructions now none of um let, let me say are these these um rewards for following the instruction manual are are they the direct result of God for obedience, the direct blessings for obedience, or are they the natural consequences of treating parents well, or both? Another example is, and please hear me, a teenager obeys God's word and avoids sexual immorality. She finds that she is blessed with less complicated romantic relationships. Fewer heartaches and an absence of fear or worry about STDs. Is she experiencing the direct blessing from God for obedience? Or the logical outcome of choosing the path of abstinence? Or is it both? Last week, I mentioned briefly about a person I've helped who knew better lived with a man in her early, mid-adult years, conceived, and had a miscarriage. And in no way do I want to say this morning that God 
caused that miscarriage because of her disobedience. Here's what the problem is, how she felt. Well, let me back up. That miscarriage didn't happen because she was living in sin necessarily. Christian couples have miscarriages. We've had two. It's not easy. Doesn't preach popularly, but it rains on the just and the unjust. The sin pattern and the mindset it creates in this girl who, when she had the miscarriage, she said to her mother, why is God cursing me? Her separation from following the instruction manual had already gotten her to doubt God's trustworthiness. She was living life on her own terms. God didn't do it, but she was blaming him for it. And this is what the enemy does when he comes and goes, did God really say, can God really be trusted? Does God really know whether it's good or bad as an adult to live with a man you're not married to? We begin to doubt. The sin pattern and the mindset, listen to me, for this young lady, that mindset created in her, that mindset she had caused her to move away from the one who could rescue her. And that's the problem. That's what disobedience does. It separates us from a loving God and causes us to be suspect of him. It causes us to distrust his goodness, and we miss out on the simple times of refreshing. And life is hard. God didn't cause the miscarriage for her any more than he put the prodigal son in the pig pen. The prodigal son made choices, and he said, I don't want to move, I don't want to live in this house anymore. I'm, I want to move out. And he moved out made his own choices, and he found himself living in a different house, a pig pen. But God didn't make that happen. Please hear me. And the father to the prodigal didn't love him any less. We know that because when the prodigal decided pig pens aren't good, I'm going back home. And the Bible says, oh, please hear me. When the father saw him from a long way off, the word the Greek here is he ran to him. He sprinted to him. That's the heart of God. That's the goodness of God. He threw his arms around him, gave him a ring, a robe, and threw a party for him. Are y'all out there? That's the goodness of God. But this girl who had the miscarriage, who was living outside the instruction manual guidelines, she didn't know the heart of God. She didn't trust it. And so she blamed him for what had happened in her life. Holy Spirit, there, there's a, just speak, massage your truth into the air. There's so much pain in the world and even in this room. And it's, it's of our own doing. Some of us, we're sitting in a, what feels like a pig pen because we moved out on our own terms. And your goodness, you were so ready to welcome us back. 
but the consequences of our sin and disobedience. I thank you, Lord, that you are, that every one of us in this room, we are, there's nothing we could do right now to make you love us more. There's nothing we would do or could do that could make you love us any less. You love us. The prodigal son story is not about the prodigal son. It's about the loving father and how you make prodigal sons adopted sons. We praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. The last thing I want to share, and this is, just want to review because I feel so, let me, let me say this. In the American church, you know, pastors don't get to just come and preach inspirational sermons often because we only gather once a week in most churches, not this one, but in most churches. And so a shepherd feels like, I can't just get up here and talk about, you know, easy, shallow stuff and pump everybody up and they go home and there's no transformation. A shepherd goes, okay, we now have to disciple with the sermon. You know what I'm saying? And so the teaching can be comprehensive or heavy. I don't bring little appetizers typically. I bring three or four or five course meals. And normally we never get to dessert. We got to do that next week. Everybody, and I apologize. Well, no, I'm sorry, not sorry, you know, because we need this. If God, if you needed 18-minute sermons, God will give them to me. He doesn't because you need more than 18-minute sermons. It's your fault we stay in church for an hour and a half. Amen? Just say, I receive it, Pastor Chuck. Now, I'm coming to, let me, look. we miss out on the goodness of God because we haven't really been discipled. We've asked for forgiveness and we don't repent. And so the instruction manual messes with us. The second thing is our sin and disobedience and, and how it makes us feel when we live a life separated from God. Like the girl who goes, why did God take my baby? He didn't. He didn't put the prodigal in the pig pen either. Thirdly, this is huge, spiritual warfare. Warfare happens. Why don't more of us experience the goodness of God? Because warfare happens and we don't know how to handle it. Warfare happens and we doubt that God is trustworthy. Warfare happens and we don't even, many people, listen to me. Progressive Christianity says there is no heaven or hell. Progressive Christianity says there is no devil. There is a devil. He is powerful. And he works in covert ways. Now, when I bring up spiritual warfare, often there's one of two people in here. Some people go, ooh, spiritual warfare. Finally, Pastor Chuck's going to talk about something that interests me. And some of y'all like the fight more than you do the victory. Some people like the light just driving out darkness more than helping people come to Jesus. I'm not one of those Pentecostal spirit-filled preachers, but nor am I going to ignore the fact that spiritual warfare is real. Let's talk about the origin of spiritual warfare real quick. God created the angels, even Lucifer, and he gave them a free will. They were in heaven... And God creating the angels, not like robots, to go holy, 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 holy. That's not what heaven's like. The angels have a free will. One glimpse of him and they go, holy, holy, holy. Oh, holy, holy. One of the angels 
was given responsibility to lead the worship. And the worship was so good in heaven that he began to think, I, I'm doing a really good job leading these other angels in worship. I should get a little bit of credit. Let me stop. First, it's like any, any preacher that preaches a good sermon just stayed out of the way. The material works for itself. Y'all didn't pick up what I just put down. <laughs> Leading worship of the king, if you do that good, all you did was stay out of the way because he's worthy. Are y'all out there? Come on, somebody. But, but Lucifer, Satan, thought, I'm doing a good job. Somebody should give me a pat on the back. And the Bible says, like lightning, he fell from heaven. He got kicked out of the house. He had to move out. And you go, wow, God is serious about it. That's just how it worked. And that's how it works. Anytime you become irresponsible with your responsibility, you're violating principles in the earth. And anytime you want to threaten some of the glory of God, you will fall. And in Romans 12 and Luke 19, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to the earth. Are y'all tracking with me? How about y'all up there in the... I can't see you up there. We're getting lights fixed. If we get enough offering money, we're going to be able to see y'all. Y'all won't have to walk in darkness up there. 24 lights and nine of them are out. Um, so, he, Satan fell like lightning from heaven to the earth. God then comes and creates Adam not on Mars, the earth, God, why would you do that? You could have put us on Pluto, but we found out it doesn't exist. But <laughs> earth, why did you? God is intentional. And it's like he never made a mistake, but one of his created beings did something that wasn't good. He came to redeem it and make it good. And he created Adam in his own image to reign and to rule and have dominion over the earth. And you know what happened. Just three chapters in, Lucifer duped Eve and Adam and they sinned. And now we live in a fallen world. And listen, you think Satan, he ain't all that. Now he... I don't want to glorify him, and I don't want you to become fearful of him, but I do want you to know this. One out of three of the angels in heaven looked at God, and they looked at Satan. They looked at God, and they said, you know what? I'm going with him. And they became the demons. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so there is spiritual warfare in the earth. Hear me. So us enjoying the goodness of God, bearing fruit, the vine, the branches, this is an away game. It's not a home game. And you go, well, Adam and Eve gave the key to have dominion in the earth to Satan when they fell. 
And you go, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. How do we know that? Because in the New Testament, when Jesus fasted 40 days and he came out of the wilderness, and the scripture says Satan tempted him and said, hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't say, you can't do that. If Jesus knew Satan could deliver on that promise, and it would be a shortcut to get the kingdoms of this world, and it would not be the divine plan for Jesus to go to the cross. Satan has dominion in the earth. That's why we have to understand the kingdom, king dominion in the earth so that we can rule and reign and we cannot be subject to all of the spiritual warfare, but we can become victorious in the warfare. I want to run through a couple of 2 Corinthians 2.11. So that we would not be exploited by the adversary, Satan, for we know his clever schemes. 1 John 5.19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Ephesians 5, Paul starts, before he gets to the great chapter on, on warfare and the armor of God, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise. Follow the instruction manual. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Verse 18, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. John 14, John 16. And then he gets to the last chapter of this great book, Ephesians and the last thing he says, he starts in verse 11, Ephesians 6. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in peace, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. How many of you know it's not about the battle, it's about winning the battle. It's not that we're fighting for victory, we are fighting from victory because we have been equipped to stand. Now let me say this real quick. Let's talk about them. The first one he mentions is the belt of truth. You have to be real. The whole Roman, all the armor was held together by the belt, the truth. And integrity is important. This is why you want truth on the innermost parts. The helmet of salvation that protects me from crazy thoughts. How? I know I'm saved. I'm not doubting that. I'm a Christian. My mind thinks what it should think. My, the breastplate of righteousness, the most important organ in my body, my heart is protected by the righteousness. What Jesus did on the cross. Oh man, I wish I had 15 more minutes to talk about the armor. Are y'all picking... What did Jesus do? The Bible says he made a spectacle of the enemy at the cross. He, made, he embarrassed him. He schooled him at the cross. And that's what protects my heart. And I have a shield of faith to extinguish, to put out 
the fiery darts of the enemy. And I'm not just sitting here in some defensive, help me Jesus mode. I've got the sword of the spirit, the rhema, the word of God. And when, listen, and when I speak, what Jesus, how did he defeat the enemy? He defeated him by quoting the word. This is why it's important that you let the word move into you. Oh my God, hold on. Listen, I'm about to get the old country boy come out of me and I'm sorry. The beauty of quoting the word. You know what Satan cannot stand? Truth. His whole game is on manipulating truth. And when you start quoting truth, it's like, what did God say? Let there be light and there was boom, light. When you quote the word, boom, the word is fulfilled. You put on the shoes of peace. When, because I, I'm clothed properly with integrity, I move from this room to that room, and wherever I go, when I enter, I bring peace as a, as a warrior for God. And then the one thing that we never talk about with the armor of God, Paul says, now, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Praise your name, Jesus. I want you to learn how to fight, brothers and sisters. If you've ever needed to be filled with the Spirit, if you've ever needed to have the divine grace, enablement that God, He puts His energy in you for you to be able to follow the instruction manual, it's now. You can't do it on your own strength, neither can I. And it's not you going, ah, oh, I've got to get better. Listen to me. Everybody look here. You should never leave a church service in this church and say, I got to get my act together. You should leave every service going, God can help me get my act together. There's a big difference. Are y'all out there? God can live this life through me if I will go, all right, I'm moving in and I want your word to move in to me. I'm closing with, I don't want to close because I'm not finished, but y'all got that roast beef up in your eyeballs pointing back at me. And um, thank you, Enoch. Uh, listen, this is the thing I want. You know, I believe what I preach. I don't do this for a living. There's no amount of money that could make it worthwhile. I do this because it's my calling and I, be I believe this stuff. And in John 14, Here's what I want for all of you in this place. Things that I can't do for you. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me, watch this, will be loved by my Father. We knew that, Jesus. But here's the deal. And I too will love them and I will show myself to them. How many of you have... Remember I said earlier, Jesus said, in a little while the world won't see me anymore, but you will, because I will manifest, I will show myself to you. Are y'all out there? Come on, somebody. I want you to experience the goodness of God. I want you to see him manifest himself in you. I want you to let the word abide in you, you abide in him, so that your prayers wreak havoc in a broken world. 
Anybody dressed this morning with the armor of God? Anybody ready to go out? And look, we're not looking to pick a fight. We're looking to see the kingdom come, the will of God be done. Oh, I've got a whole lot more to say to you. Everybody just say, Lord, we receive it from you, Father. Now, here's what you have to do. This is the one thing I want us to close with. You have to say, Holy Spirit, may it be unto me according to the word. I want it all. If you say that prayer sincerely, God's getting ready through the power of his spirit to live this life through you. As long as you keep saying, may it be unto me according to your word. I want your word to abide in me. Anybody ready to go to the next level? Now, don't raise your hand up. Because here's, here's, you know why I brought these up here? You know what y'all do a lot of times? You go to church and you go, I need, I need a shot. Candace and I fall, when we flew to the Middle East, fall of 2019, we, we flew from Atlanta to Boston. I got up there and I realized, oh, I forgot my sleep aid. Now, I'm not addicted to sleep aid too badly, but... Uh, I was like, oh, so I went in and found in the, uh, what's that, Logan Field, the airport in Boston. I got a little thing of Unisom. And I didn't know how powerful it was, how it would work on me. And so we got on a 13-hour flight, and I took one Unisom. And thank God I had a whole row. And I laid down, and I slept for 11 hours. Changed my life. Candace watched four movies and finished her PhD while I was on our, on our flight over there. And uh, I thought, how many times? This is from a while ago when I lost my voice, and Dr. Torino called in some medicine for me to go and get the inflammation out, and my voice would return. And you know what I did? I didn't go when Jan or Jen called in I didn't go that's right amen hallelujah that's what I need I need some anti-inflammatory Woo! hallelujah and go home that's what we do you know what I did because I wanted my voice back she called it in I went to Kroger and Hickory Flats straight there and got it and I took a double dose you know what else I did? I emptied out that bottle of medicine because I wanted to get my voice back. Many of us go, amen, that's exactly right. Anti-inflammatories will help you get you. It'll get rid of inflammatories. That's why it's called anti-inflammatory. That's right, hallelujah, amen, glory be to God. I'll, I'll go by and get it sometime. But I agree, it'll work. It'll change your life. I've heard, it'll change people. There's people in my church who've taken anti-inflammatories and their inflammatories disappeared. It's incredible. And we get fired up like that. I'm, I'm double dog, triple dog daring some of you. This is what I did as a youth pastor. This is what I've done with my children. When I was in 10th grade, reading the Bible revolutionized my life and it still keeps me going. Even through the book of Leviticus. I got stuff out of Leviticus this time. Are y'all out there? You know what I got out of Leviticus? That God is serious. There's a way he wants us to worship him. And we don't get to worship, tell him how we want to worship him. He's God and he will tell us what worship is. I know y'all didn't come to hear another sermon from the book of Leviticus. 
If you're ready and you want to be filled with God's Spirit and you're saying, I'm going to the next level. I want Him to live this life through me and I am going to see and experience the goodness of God. Stand to your feet. Come on. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We don't come to hear the Word and be smarter Christians. We come to be transformed. I don't preach the Word to impress anybody that I studied this week or that I know a lot. I don't. I come to let this Word get in us and it will transform our church, transform your marriage, transform your life. I'm praying that every high schooler, middle schooler, I pray that you'll be transformed. I dare you to spend five minutes in the Word this week and tell me next Sunday morning what you read, what God said to you. Some of you men that you're so busy, come on. There are apps now on your iPhone that if you don't do your devotion, your iPhone won't work. They've dumbed it down. Your app can read it to you on Georgia 400. It can audibly. There's no excuse for us to not spend time in the Word. Amen? Come on now, lift your hands with me. We say, Father, use us for your glory. We want to experience your goodness, not for us to consume it, but we know that's how you created this whole experience, for us to have intimacy with you. May we live in you, abide in you, monet, enjoy that place that we move into and we let your word move into us. And then the divine intimacy of connection will begin to flow. We'll be transformed. Come on, say it with me. We'll be transformed. I'll be transformed. Ever increasing glory, more and more in the likeness of Jesus. My marriage will be transformed. There'll be a time of refreshing in my family. My children will be transformed. We will do what you said in the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6. We will write your word on our, the back of our hands, at our tables, on our doorposts, at, at the fences, at the edge of our yard. We will be consumed by your word, that it will consume us in Jesus' name. And more than anything, we're going to be victorious in a world that's at war spiritually. And we are going to see the kingdom of God come no matter what. Fox, CNN, MSNBC, no matter who's in the White House, you are in your house, and we've moved in and let you move into this house in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody. Praise the Lord. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. I don't know if anybody needs prayer. When I, when I mention warfare, I really feel, don't, don't, don't try to do it alone. Holy Spirit will fill you. You need accountability, brothers and sisters. If you're in a difficult spot, there will be elders here in the altar. If you would like prayer, we're glad to pray with you. I want to ask Jan and some of you on the prayer team, those of you who lead, you're involved in people groups, just be sensitive. If people need prayer today, we're still in COVID craziness and we're not able to do ministry like we always do. But if you need prayer, we're here to support you. Um, and then tonight, please consider being with us. It'll be 55 minutes and I think you'll go encouraged and excited about what, excited about what God's doing. Thank you for coming today. 
Turn and bless somebody. Tell them, I'm getting ready to have the greatest week I've ever had in my life. Tell them. <laughs>